Would you like to live a healthier, happier, and more fulfilled life? Cultures from all over our planet have been addressing that concern for thousands of years, and their answers can help you in your life today. Join anthropologist and healer Robert Vetter as he introduces you to cultures of health and healing. Get ready now to try out some healing beliefs and practices from far and wide. Here's the host of your show, Robert Vetter. Welcome, my listening audience. I'm happy today to have Kevin Nathaniel with me. Kevin Nathaniel is a visionary musician who, with voice and ancient African instruments, channels sound as a universal healing force. Together, breathing rhythms to the beat of our synchronized hearts, Kevin Nathaniel resonates songs of unity and the big picture of love in the grooviest ways. I couldn't have put it better myself. A longtime devotee of Umbira, Kalimba, circle song, drum, dance, meditation, and yoga, a world-traveled music healer, sharing the musical medicine of the ancient, the now, and the beyond. Kevin Nathaniel brings a fresh, deep experience of the beauty of sound. Kevin Nathaniel's music is an invitation for all to come together, to share in song, laughter, positivity, movement, prayer, and breath. He tours solo and or with ensemble, depending on event, performing in major concert halls, festivals, music clubs, ceremonies, etc. He often plays in the shamanic healing world as many experience mystical, spiritual, and healing vibrations in the music he shares. He also conducts music workshops, play shops, for polyphonic circle singing, breath rhythms, body music, and movement, mbira, kalimba, rattle, percussion, an instrument playing or building. Kevin Nathaniel was called to music by the magical sound of the Umbira immediately and mysteriously after graduating scholar of the house at Yale University. He then worked closely with legendary Zimbabwean Umbira master, Ifat Mujuru for many years. Kevin continues the Umbira Kalimba legacy, creatively working to expand upon it. He's worked with a variety of artists, including Alice Walker, Oprah Winfrey, Jonathan Demi, Thomas Mapfumo, Miriam Makiba, Bobby McFerrin, Niles Rogers, Madonna, Philip Glass, and Nana Vas Vasconcelos. So I am really happy to have Kevin here with me. I, I've known Kevin for a number of years and I have experienced some of what you just heard about. And I am so moved by his music and the spirit that he brings to it and the way that he's able to share with groups so that everybody is participating. People aren't just passive. When he brings his healing resonance to the circle, everybody feels it and everybody participates in it. But Kevin, it's been a journey for you to get from where you started to where you are now. And in our first session, I'd like you to take us on, along on that journey. Tell us about your life. Great. Uh, thank you. It's my pleasure to take you on that journey. And as I take you on the journey, I'll probably be uh, trying to wind many threads together because there are just so many different threads and so many different rivers that flowed all together. Um, but um, Many rivers to cross. Yes. 
<laughs> but uh, so let me just begin from as far back as I can go. And that's uh, um, it, when I was born. I was born uh, uh, many, many moons ago. Um, and, um, and I was born a twin, uh, believe it or not. And so me and my twin brother uh, grew up doing a lot of the same things together. Um, and we were always, um, our parents always encouraged us to be really good in school. Um, and I would say my mother encouraged me and my father demanded it. So I had a very stern father. He was, uh, you know, not allowing any foolishness as far as school goes. Uh, so uh, we were always really good students in school. Um, and um, we were interested in a lot of different things. And I started to dabble in music a little bit when I was in grade school, but I mostly was interested in art. So I loved drawing and painting and sculpture, anything that I could create with my hands. I, I loved that. Got a lot, my mother loved the fact that I was involved with it too. And uh, it was around the time when I was 11, about 11 years old, that uh, my mother used to always make these suggestions to me that she later regretted because um, I would go all the way off into it, right? So, uh, so it was my mother who suggested that I stop eating these cereals that were full of sugar. And I was only about maybe seven or eight years old. And she was like, no, let's not do that with the sugar foods and all that because those cereals are half sugar. And me and my twin brother looked at each other and said, half sugar, you know. So we just started veering away from it. And by the time we were young teenagers, we were going to organic markets and health food stores in Detroit. At the time, there were only two or three of them in the whole city. Um, so, uh, so we started on this sort of path. And then my mother tells me, t says at 11, she says, hey, would you guys like to do martial arts? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, of course, we were like, yeah, you know. And uh, well, I, we have a friend of the family who's uh, been, he used to train people in martial arts in the military. He's really good. Uh, he can come by and teach every kid on the block. So we organized this, this class for martial arts for every kid on the block. There's like maybe 12 kids all around the neighborhood in my basement, like maybe two days a week doing martial arts. And when the, um, and in this era, in this era, I believe um, we'd already had the era of, Green Hornet, so Kato was super popular. So of course, if you said martial arts, everybody thought about Kato. So we all, and then there was uh, uh, the beginning of this uh, e series called Kung Fu with Kwai Chang, uh, this the David Carradine. So anyway, there was this really burgeoning interest in that kind of thing all over the United States. Um, so me and my brother got involved, and in, and in all these kids in the block, and the martial arts teacher was teaching karate. And he was breaking boards and all that. And, um, and we were enjoying it, but um, all the other kids on the block dropped out, every last one of them. And they just left me and my brother. And the teacher uh, looked at us and said, you know, I thought this was gonna happen. I could see this was gonna happen. He said, so now we're gonna teach the whole other side of martial arts. So he went into a whole, um, a whole, change in the way he taught. He taught only soft forms after that. And we were doing only things that looked like we were basically waving our bodies around in water, you know. And, um, and he got us involved with meditation. And he got us involved with yoga. Um, and then he got, then after, this is like gradually, gradually, you know. And then he got us involved with, uh, with acrobatics. 
And uh, so at a very young age, I, 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 it's, it's hard for me to believe sometimes that at around 11 or 12 years old, I was running around with a hard copy of Patanjali's yoga aphorisms in my bag, you know, because I just was so curious about this stuff. I wanted to read about it, you know. And, uh, and of course, this, this t teacher had got us, and he had sparked this interest in our minds, and we, were, we had dived into it thoroughly. Uh, and again, my mother began to regret it because she thought we were going off on the deep end. You were like, oh, no, my kids are off on the deep end. They'll never come back. So, uh, but we got involved with that. And, you know, I, it, the, the thing that took us all the way was the acrobatics because the acrobatics was so much fun. Um, but acrobatics requires so much discipline, you know. Uh, so it gave us a lot of discipline to, uh, to, to get heavily involved with acrobatics. Um, and then... Uh, and, and it became like a, a sort of a very, um, I would say, very inspirational thing to be involved in because, you know, when you, when you have, we became part of acrobatic teams in school. And so we would go to school and we would be really looking forward to when the day ends, like the school would end at three o'clock and we'd spend about another couple of hours doing acrobatics with all these kids, you know, and, and the school, all the students. So the, it gave us a really um, a strong, another strong motivation to go to school, you know, and to be our best students in school because we wanted that time to do acrobatics and the acrobatics also inspired us to do better in our classes. Um, so yeah, it was a very important part. Um, and then uh, we, we were coming out of high school. Um, we had heard about these, you know, these uh, very well-known big schools you know, Ivy League schools, we'd heard about them, and, you know, we'd heard talk about them, and we were just kind of a, like a lark of an idea in our head, hey, let's apply. <laughs> hey, let's, why not? Let's apply. <laughs> and, um, and we applied to other schools, too. But uh, both me and my brother got into these Ivy League schools. We got in. And, uh, and, it, and we, we went. Uh, uh, my my brother went to Harvard, and I went to Yale. Um, and when I got into Yale, I totally veered toward creative expression. So uh, everything I did was focused on creativity. I got involved with the art department. Uh, my parents were totally upset about that. Um, and uh, but that was the only thing I really wanted to do in college was get. And, and Yale at the time had an incredibly good art department. It had one of the top art departments around. Uh, so it was a really beautiful time to be at Yale for the art department at that time. They had some really radical-minded teachers, um, some, really, some teachers who just made you question, you know, made you question a lot, uh, which is really good. That's probably one of the best things you can ask for for art school is to have uh, teachers that make you question everything. Uh, in ways, art school becomes a really great philosophy school to be in because that's what it is. You're just surrounded by philosophy you're always being asked to ask to ask yourself why and and ask why and and look deeper into things um so i would say that the art training was extremely good for me my parents didn't think it was good <laughs> they wanted me to consider something else but i stayed in it and um and then when i came out uh, when i graduated from college something was going on i was hearing well, in my last year, my last, probably my last month of college, um, I was uh, walking through campus and I saw a sign on a tree 
who said Embira music this way. Now let me backtrack a little bit and that's because I was doing so much creative stuff in college. I was always involved with dance, uh, modern dance, and um, I was always involved with a lot of art. So in the creative dance world, um, the musician friends of mine who I was hanging out with in college uh, took me to the music library to listen to all kinds of really interesting music out of Africa and other things that were at that time on LP. You had to pull them out of the music library and put on put a needle on the record and put headphones on. And I was listening to music from Zimbabwe and uh, at the time Dumisani Marire had uh, was one of the only Mbira albums out. It was an Mbira album called Mbira Music of Southern Rhodesia. <laughs> so, right? It was before Zimbabwe was, was before it was, it was Zimbabwe. I got my head deep into those things. So when uh, my last month of college, I'm walking through the campus and I'm seeing this sign on a tree that says Embira music this way. And I said, that sign is for me because out of this college campus, I'm one of the probably seven or eight people on this whole dang campus who knows what that sign means, you know? So I uh, turned and followed that sign and uh, walked into this one college called Timothy Dwight College, you know, because Yale has 12 colleges inside of it. So Tim, TD College, I walked in and there was Ifat Mujeru, uh, who's a, one of Zimbabwe's most legendary Mbira gurus, masters. He was there uh, playing for a small group. And when I walked in the room, I just saw, because he was playing, resonating inside of a calabash, I just saw a bowl in front of him and I heard a big band with him, and I didn't know where the big band was. I just saw the bowl in front of him doing these call and responses with everybody, but then all these music, all these instruments playing along with him. And I, uh, so I was there fascinated, you know, figuring that this must have been coming from that big bowl he had somehow magically, but I couldn't imagine what was on the other side of that bowl. Um, so when he finished playing, I uh, tried to sneak around and meet him and look at the other side of the bowl and all the, there were several college students who were very good Shona and Zulu speakers and they had crowded around Ifat and I could hardly talk to Ifat because they were talking Shona and Zulu to him and uh, he could speak English but it's just that they had the first sort of front row seat at the time. So um, I just remember looking at it and then after I graduated from college I had to go right away to Seattle. Uh, Seattle's all the way on the West Coast, Seattle, Washington, because I had to participate as a bone marrow donor for my older brother. My older brother had been diagnosed with leukemia and uh, they needed somebody in the family who matched his blood type and it was me, it happened to be. So chosen to go be a, a bone marrow donor. So I, after I graduated from college, I literally shot straight out to Seattle. And I wound up spending almost that whole summer because I had to be there early to talk to all the doctors and meet all the doctors. So there was almost a whole month that I was there that I didn't have to do anything. I was just going to say hi to doctors and walk back out and take a few tests. Well, when it happened that who's in Seattle that whole summer? Ifat Mujeru. He's there teaching workshops, um, doing some things with the University of Washington. 
And also at the University of Washington was Dumisani Marire, who was the, uh, he was the artist for that album that I was listening to in college when my music friends took me to the music library. So they were both there in Seattle that summer. And of course I was going to meet them wherever they were and going to hang out with them and going to talk to them. And uh, I spent a lot of time, my free time, tracking down either one of them, you know. I had some uh, amazing experiences. I learned a lot. Um, at that point, I hadn't started playing in beer, but I could see that it was going to happen um, because I would walk through Seattle, and Seattle has a lot of wildflowers, you know. So I would look at the wildflowers growing, and I would just hear beer music in my head, you know. And uh, it was just something that was calling me, calling me very strongly. So the summer was over, I did the bone marrow transplant with my brother and uh, I went back to New Haven to move back to New York, or to move to New York for the first time. Um, and so I went to New York and put, oh, let me back to, yeah, when I went to New York, I had a little job lined up, it was the summer, to uh, take kids around the city. And they had a wood shop. And the first thing I did was I went to that wood shop and started building Embiras. And I didn't know how, what I was doing. I was building them very poorly, um, but I was building them. Um, and I was looking at pictures and building them. And um, I had some opportunities to actually show the kids how to make their own too. But they, again, they were all very poorly made. I was, didn't know what I was doing. Um, and I uh, started building them a little bit better uh, and then I started into a phase where I was just going around picking up uh, stuff off the street and making instruments out of things, wood and metal I would find. Sometimes I'd make kalimbas, sometimes I'd make xylophones. And then sometimes I would decorate them and make paintings out of those because, as I said, I came from the art department. So it was sort of an art project. Uh, but I was still fascinated in learning more about this Embira. So I started on a project of going to meet everybody in New York City who had an Embira and learn something from them about how to tune and how to make an Embira. So at the time, and I'll name a few names, uh, Glenn Velez, who you may very well know of, uh, he's a very well-known frame drummer and uh, overtone singer. Uh, Glenn Velez uh, was one of the people who worked with IFAT. So I went to Glenn, somebody turned me on to where to find him at, and Glenn showed me his Embira and let me record the tuning, um, and I talked to him for a while. And then I went to, um, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about when I went to all these people, but first I'm going to tell you the people. I went to an artist named Rafan, and Rafan had built the most amazing embirers out of wood that were so resonant that they sounded like flutes at the same time. So when he played them, they had finger holes on the side, and you could adjust the finger holes and get flute pitches coming out of these instruments that Rafan was building. He called them voice of reason. Uh, and there were a couple other people I went to, I can't think of them clearly who I went to to get tuning information. But here's the funny thing. Everybody I went to, this was like maybe four or five people that I went to to get information. Everybody I went to on the way back home, I found money on the street. Every, on the way back home, every time. So one time I found $50. One time I found 40 
this was this i'm not talking about no little two dollars here i was finding real money on the street and back then that was real money i don't know about now but <laughs> so i was finding money in the street and it was just very curious to me i was like something is up here you know i'm gonna need to follow this path um and uh and so as i followed the path uh, am i near the am i near my time Actually, this might be a good time for us to break and pick it up there in our next session. But okay. I was going to ask you if you could share an Ambira song yes. before we close out session one. I will. I everybody wants to hear it. I will. In fact, I'm going to share this Ambira song on this Ambira. And I'm going to share a song that I really want to share with everybody right now because the issue that a lot of people are dealing with in so many ways is healing. They want to get closer to healing. They want to feel that they've healed. They want to be healed, or they want to uh, pre have prevention around of uh, of anything around them, so they stay healed. So, um, I'm. This song is called "Healing for the World," and it's a. Uh, I'll be playing it on this mbira, which is a traditional mbira out of Zimbabwe. Um, I'll, I, tell me if you can if you can hear the mbira. Beautiful. Sounds great. Okay, good. So uh, I will start now with the sounds of the earth bubbling up from the earth through the ground all the way through and reaching our breath. Beautiful this planet could be 
with all kind of flowers and roses growing up there in between. This planet could be such a beautiful, wild, magical scene. Let's send the vision out for a healing for the world. Let's send the vision out for a healing for this planet and let it go all out into the galaxy, around to all other planets, and come right back to us. Yes. And we be dreaming about a healing for the world. Yeah, we be vibing on a healing for the world. Let's come together, chant a healing for the world. Let's come together and chant a healing for the world. We want a healing for the world. Hey, a healing for the world. We need a healing for the world. Hey, a healing for the world. We're talking about a healing for the world. Hey, a healing for the world. We want a healing for the world. Hey, a healing for the world. We need a healing for the world. Hey, a healing for the world. Hey, 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 hey. A healing for the world. Hey, 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 hey. A healing for the world. Hey, 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 hey. A healing for the world. A healing for the world. Hey, a healing for the world. We need a healing for the world. Hey, a healing for the world. We're talking about a healing for the world. Hey, a healing for the world. We need a healing for the world. Hey, a healing for the world. We need it. When do we need it? Right now, right now, Ooh. right now, right now, yeah. Right now, right now, Ooh. right now, right now, a healing for the world, hey, a healing for the world. Someone asked me what I would like to hear. I'd like to hear that we no longer have to fear this planet getting a little warmer every year. The Arctic Glacier melting away. The Amazon rainforest getting chopped every day. Nuclear radiation all in the ocean. Shh, don't talk about it. We don't want to cause no commotion. Let's come together. Keep this planet green with all kind of flowers and roses growing up there in between. Let's come together. Say the bumblebee. If it disappears, then so do we. Let's come together, save this planet Earth, because you and I, you and me, we know, we know what it's worth. We want a healing for the world, hey, a healing for the world. We need a healing for the world, hey, a healing for the world. We're talking about a healing for the world, hey, a healing for the world. We want a healing for the world, Ooh. a healing for the world, because we're all in this together. We're all in this. And if you're hearing this song, join in. You just say, we're all in this together. We're all in this. We're all in this together. We're all in this. We're all in this together. We're all in this. Wow, how beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kevin. That Thank is you. wonderful. And it's a pleasure. truer words were never spoken for our time. <laughs> so we all need a healing. And I encourage all my listeners to come back for part two, where we're going to hear more about this story, more about how this music fits into a cultural context 
how it works for healing. And we're going to hear some more music. So everybody listen in again. Thank you so much, Kevin. Thank you. My pleasure. See you This has been Cultures of Health and Healing with Robert Fetter. Thanks for listening. Please remember to subscribe and rate this show and share it with others. Until next time, remember, your health and healing matter, and you can find your own unique path to optimum wellness.